0: Our reading this morning is from Nehemiah 5, verses 1 to 12. It's on page 487 in the Bibles in the chairs. Nehemiah 5, verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, We have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, As far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. This is the word of the Lord. So pray pray for you, Ivan. Father, would you bless this man as he preaches? Would you encourage him? Would you fill him with your spirit as he uh, brings to us uh, what he has prepared uh, in, in these last few days? Lord, uh, bless him now in Jesus' name and us as we hear. Amen. Amen.
1: Good morning uh, and a special hello if you're listening to me via the church website. I was very pleased to be given this subject of Nehemiah and the walls of Jerusalem, because I've got some experience about building. About building walls, in fact. My first major project took place before I was married. And I was living at that time in Torquay. And one day, my garden wall fell down. No problem, I thought. I'll sort that out myself. I'll build another wall. So I rebuilt it. Bought some cement. Easy job, no problem. And then one windy day, I was sitting in my lounge. I looked through the window, and I—you know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> I saw the wall wobble, and I thought, "Oh dear!" And it finally fell down. It all—it was all as though it was happening in slow motion, and I just saw this happen. And I thought, "Oh dear." <laughs> anyway. To cut a long story short, I had to call in a builder and get the thing done properly. My second experience, major experience, happened here in Shrewsbury. I had um, a concrete block at the back of the garden. Now, those of you who know about building, you'll know it was, um, it, it was a gravel board. So you know what those are. Uh, anyway, I lost my, I couldn't carry it. It was too heavy. So I was clever. I dragged it. But even then, I lost my grip, and it slashed into my leg. 22 stitches at A&E, uh, and I couldn't. I, I, I sat. It's not. I sat with my foot up for about six weeks. It was. It was. It was very, very, very frustrating. Anyway, uh, that's another story. Um, I, I realised that building was not for me. <laughs> I gave up on that. So much for my building experience. But I rather fancy that Nehemiah didn't encounter the problems that I encountered. The, issue he, the issues that he faced were of a different nature. Uh, the title of this talk, in fact, should really be "Trouble at Mill," and that's an expression coming from the cloth mills in Yorkshire and Lancashire, where there were frequent disputes between workers and management. And for Nehemiah, trouble at mill meant that he was facing opposition from without. But the passage that we read this morning shows how he also had to deal with conflict from within, from within the ranks. This is what happened. The poorer Jews complained that the wealthy Jews were either ignoring their desperate needs or actually making those needs worse through exploiting them and the situation was aggravated by a famine so that those who owned property were forced to mortgage their fields vineyards and houses just to get food others had to borrow in order to pay the king's tax on their lands and some were forced to sell their children into slavery to their fellow Jews just to pay their bills all in all it was an, impal, an appalling situation which was dishonoring to God. Nehemiah became angry, very angry, in fact, when he heard these complaints. And the first thing he did was to take on, to confront those who were guilty of mistreating the poor. Because, after all, it gave their enemies a chance to make fun of them and their God. Because they were ignoring the the Mosaic, the law of Moses, that prevented a Jew from loaning money at interest to a fellow Jew in need. And the the wealthier Jews were not only charging interest, but they were also taking Jewish children as slaves, as collateral for the loans. So they were acting callously, greedy for profit, disregarding the consequences that this had on the poor and their families. Nehemiah saw these problems and they realized that they were really serious. He realized they were really serious. And he decided to stop the work on the wall long enough to get these problems resolved. So it really was a case of trouble at mill. Can I just say a few words about opposition? You'll always face opposition when you're getting things right. So it can be a good sign. Opposition makes you reassess your position. Are you really getting it right? Is, is a given project really worth the, the bother? Is it worth the trouble? And are you doing it in the most appropriate way? So, what's, what, where, where is all this leading? We're not building walls, or most of us anyway. And, uh, but do we face opposition because we're following Jesus. If we do, it's not surprising. And that surely indicates that we're getting it right. And that should be an encouragement, shouldn't it? I, I remember a year or two ago, I was really stopped in my tracks because I was reading about a pastor in Egypt. I've always had a soft spot for Egypt. But he was facing opposition. Uh, in fact, it was persecution. And he asked for prayer. I would have expected him to ask for prayer that the troubles would come to an end, but he didn't. He asked for prayer that he would be given the strength to stand in that situation. And to stand up to the opposition and resist it. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that a real challenge. I wonder how do we cope with opposition, whether it's opposition from fellow Christians or from those who don't share our faith. If we work it out as a point of principle, then we really have to act. And Nehemiah decided he'd reached that point. He'd have to take action, and he'd have to do it straight away. And so he stopped what he was doing, and he dealt with the problem straight away. I wonder what would we have done if we had been in Nehemiah's shoes? Would we have done what he did? Or would we have walked away from the situation hoping it would go away? Would we have preferred not to get involved? I wonder. I'm reminded of the story about the men who were shipwrecked on a desert island. They were abandoned there for several months. And they were only discovered by chance by a ship that happened to be going that way. And there were two Englishmen Two Scotsmen. <laughs> you know what's coming. <laughs> two Welshmen and, God bless them, two Irishmen. The question is, what do you think they were doing when they were discovered and when they were finally rescued? Well, the, Welsh, the two Welsh men got together. They were singing, of course. They were singing. The Scots were arguing over who should keep a gold coin that they'd found in the sand. I'm insulting everybody here. <laughs> and the Irish were fighting, of course. But the English, they'd found each other. They were sitting a safe distance away from each other. Because, as they explained afterwards, you see, we had not been introduced. (laughs) I wonder, are we like that? Sometimes we're just too nice to get involved because we don't want to create a fuss, and above all, we don't want to be misunderstood. Notice, though, that Nehemiah was angry In fact, he was really steaming. And he felt he couldn't just fudge it or sit on his hands and hope the problem would go away because it wouldn't. Basically, he was in no mood to mess around and he really got stuck in. And he wanted the offenders to sort things out, to right the wrong and do it immediately. Some of us Some of us feel it's wrong to become angry. It's unbecoming for nice people like us. And it's true that the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 26, if you anger, if you anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And I take that to mean that under certain circumstances, it's fair enough being angry, so long as we sort it out as soon as possible and don't let The whole thing fester. Don't let the anger take over. But surely there are times when we really should be angry. It's right to be angry. We've every right to be angry. Nehemiah was pretty blunt, wasn't he? He said, what you're doing is wrong. You ought, and you'll see this little bit in the uh, church, uh, the thought for the week in the church bulletin. You ought to obey God and do what's right then you would not give our enemies, the Gentiles, any reason to ridicule us. The crucial point was that God was being dishonored by their actions. I wonder, what is it that makes you really angry? What really gets under your skin, I wonder? What makes you really upset? If you ask me that question... There's many things I would say, but one thing I would mention was the many, many Christians around the world, in too many parts of the world, who are being persecuted for their faith. One is martyred every five minutes. That's horrendous. One Christian is martyred every five minutes. I find that very hard to cope with because they're brothers and sisters in the faith. I find that dreadful to say the least and that makes me angry. I'm very annoyed too in the society we live in because we seem to have such a casual attitude towards gambling. Gambling in so many ways it's so easy to gamble. I don't want to go to wax lyrical on that. I feel the same way about pornography, which is so easily accessible. It's an area where we men are so vulnerable, and if you're a man, you'll know exactly what I mean. I'm concerned about the supply of so-called cheap loans, borrowing money on the cheap, which ends up costing you a fortune and making some people bankrupt. I could keep going, but I'll leave you to finish the list. Depressing as it is. How about you, though? Do you care? If not, why not? Jesus called us to be salt and light wherever we are. How are you salt and light to those people you know? At home, at work, in the supermarket, in the hospital, in the doctor's surgery, at the den- tennis club, at the football ground, everywhere, anywhere. I love I love that old-fashioned hymn that we used to sing at Sunday school. Some of you maybe remember it. We don't seem to sing it anymore, which I think is a shame. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. To shine for him each day. In every way, try to please him. At home. At school. At play. That sums it up beautifully. It's so simple. Even a child can understand that. And yet it says everything. As sophisticated adults, we could not, as sophisticated adults, we could not express it better. Question Are you a sunbeam for Jesus? How brightly are you shining? Do you shine everywhere you go? And do you shine every day or just on Sundays, especially in the God slot on Sunday morning? Let's turn all this around if we can and look at the positive side. We're not building a physical wall, at least most of us are not. But we are involved in building God's church. And when we say church, let's not think of it as something out there. Them, other people, it, they. When we say the church, we mean you and me. It's not them, it's us. It's interesting, isn't it, that we never say in the Lord's Prayer, it's not my father. It, we say our father. Jesus taught us our, to say our father. We're not on our own. We're in this together. We're part of a family. We do it together. We collaborate. Our father, we're in this together. And I wonder, what part are you playing we shouldn't attempt to do everything because that's not really possible. But we can't opt out and do nothing. Are you doing your best? Are you doing your bit to the best of your ability? We all do different things, and some of us have upfront roles in the limelight, but all parts have equal value. I'm so glad that somebody invisible switches on the heating in church so thank you to whoever turned it on this morning and I'm grateful to those who vacuumed the floor whoever cut the lawn outside and I also thank those who preach in church here notice I didn't mention them first or say that they're the most important they have a key role yes they do But where would they be without the amplification? You wouldn't even hear them. All these, you can say, are low-profile jobs. They don't get the brownie points. You don't see them being done. But those tasks are so important as they're so interdependent. We can't manage without them. Having said that, some of you may be unable to do anything physical because you've got limited mobility. But you can pray. I haven't got time to, to list all the things you can pray about. But please don't forget our MP, Daniel. Don't forget our Prime Minister, Theresa May. Don't forget all those trouble spots in the world where Christians are under the cosh, they're being persecuted. Do pray for them. Closer to home, don't forget our vicar Peter as he shepherds the flock. Not an easy job. Pray for Peter. And don't just pray for Peter pray for his wife debbie cuz debbie is not there just to make up the number debbie has an important role to play as well i don't mind admitting i would not wish to be a vicar's wife <laughs> and i think i'm safe in saying well, that's a role i will never have to play <laughs> thank goodness and don't forget as well the daughters Naomi and Miriam pray for them all they're all important can I make a few very practical comments now and there's no particular order in these comments Um, they're somewhat random Um, some of these comments will be relevant to you some of them won't that's fine I wonder, are we like the Englishmen on that desert island who keep themselves to themselves, play it safe, do nothing? Are we welcoming to those who come into church who we've never met before? When was the last time that you spoke to a stranger in church? A stranger, in the end, is someone who you'd never met before. They're not strange. And when you've spoken to them, they're no longer a stranger. Isn't that true? Another point, you'll notice that the average age of church members is creeping up. And it's probably now in the high 50s. Or maybe higher. I don't know. We need to attract more young people. More children. I've heard it said, and I'm sure you've heard it said many times, that the children are the church of the future. Well, that's partly true. Of course, they're also the church of the present, the here and now. So where are they? And what can we do to bring them in? Let's be especially welcoming to them. Don't worry about embarrassing them. They'd much rather be embarrassed than ignored. Do encourage them. Nowadays, there are so many other activities which compete with church. You've got sport. You've got football training on a, on a Sunday morning. It's usually Sunday morning, isn't it? There's so many other things you can do. The things that young people um, love doing is one thing that they love doing is messing around. I think that's my favourite activity as well, messing around. But they love doing it, messing around with friends. We've also got to remember it's no longer cool to go to church. Especially if most of your friends don't go. Do pray for the young people. Another thing, if we have a disagreement about something in church, do we thrash it out with the person in question? Or do we find other people to moan about, about to talk about it with and have a moan? Do we let it fester and do we gossip behind the scenes? Gossip is so destructive. Follow the example of Nehemiah and thrash it out as soon as possible. What about those members of this church who are ill? You can look in the church bulletin and have a whole, see a whole list. Some of them are listed there. Of those, some of some of them have been away for church. For quite some time, they'd love to come back, but they can't. They'd be delighted, though, if you popped in to see them, or maybe rang them up. Maybe you could go round and see them, read with them, pray with them. And how about making contact with those who it seems have stopped coming to church? It's not a question of working out whether they were right or wrong to leave. That's a separate issue. But what are we doing to encourage them to come back? In some services, and it was at the nine o'clock today, we shared the peace. I wonder, is that just a quaint custom which we Anglicans do for a bit of fun, just for a bit of light relief? Do we just look out for our friends and, and, and just and make a point of giving them the peace because that's nice and it gives us warm feelings? Or do we make a point of including those who can so easily be overlooked? Maybe the York House members, their carers. But basically, folk who we don't know. Get to know them. And then at the end of the service, when we share fellowship over a cup of tea or coffee or glass of orange juice or whatever you drink is it a case of how are you oh I'm fine thanks how are you yeah 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 or do we actually engage with the other person what if that other person says to you well uh, I don't know quite how to put this but I'm having a struggle at the moment I don't really know how to cope What would your reaction be? What would you say? Would you even hear it? Or would you be, apart from that, you'd be thinking about what you were having for lunch. You're thinking ahead so you don't hear them. Do we engage with each other? What do we do? Do we care? What do we do? As we consider all these comments, let us act as Nehemiah would have done. In other words, let's not fudge it or sit on our hands and do nothing. Let's get stuck in, and let's get stuck in immediately. Jesus said in John's Gospel, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. If you have love for one another, then everyone will know that you are my disciples. that if you look at that uh, quite a challenge really isn't it if you have loved one another everyone will know that you are my disciples i i as i read that i was thinking i wonder when someone walks into christ church for the first time do they see that love in action do they realize we're jesus followers and do they feel embraced by that love As I close, can I leave you with a few challenges? How do we cope with opposition as we stand up for Jesus? Are we standing firm or do we give way? Do we compromise? The second one when we see some injustice or some problem in society which makes us angry, how do we react? Do we walk away or do we act as salt and light in that situation and do something? Lastly, what role are you playing in building God's church? Are you doing the bit that you're called to do here at Christchurch? And are you doing it to the best of your ability? Remember, you're unique. Your contribution is unique and nobody can do it the way you do it. I hope and pray that these few simple thoughts will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you in the coming days. And with that in mind, I've prepared uh, uh, some questions for you to think about and pray about during the coming week and which you may wish to use in your house groups. Um, You should have been given a copy as you came in, and if not, please pick up a coffee Copy. Pick up. Sorry, that was a Freudian slip. You can pick up a coffee as well. Pick up a coffee, yes, or tea, and pick up a copy before you leave this morning. God bless you, and thank you.